Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. Hello and welcome. To, you know what, Dan? You do the intro. Oh, hello. See how I just threw you under the bus. And welcome to Multifamily Investing Made Simple. I am Dan Kruger, your uh, fearless leader, joined by uh, what was your name again? Anthony. Ant. Funny. Tony. Ant. No, never Tony. Chino. Sometimes Ant. Aunt, Sometimes that that's guy. one person I know who calls you that, and I'm not your girlfriend. So, Yeah, she, her and my dad are really the only ones. Yeah, I can't mess with that. No. So you know who we are, Dan Kruger, Anthony Vecino. Yeah. Uh, most family investing made simple. We take the complexity out of real estate investing so that you can get started today. Um, I'm super pumped because we're going to be talking about something um, that I appreciate a ton as an underwriting numbers fanatic. But I think a lot of people, this is going to be brand new information for, um, and that is, you know, we're going to compare two deals, right? We're going to compare two deals. And this is coming from a story mm-hmm. that uh, a friend of yours shared, I think when you were doing a podcast Yeah, and this is, I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. It, it, so here's, here's the, let me lay the context here, guys, is you're going to have multiple deals at some point. And you're going to need to try and compare them. Like, should I invest with these operators in this deal or this operator in this deal? How do I tell which deal is better? And this isn't Returns as are higher, right? It, yeah, well, this isn't as simple as you might imagine because one is you can't quantify risk in a universal way, right? There really is no universal definition of, of risk because how you define it and how I define it is going to be a little bit different. And so how do we measure both the returns, but also the potential risk of an investment. This is really, this is the big question mark. And I was on a podcast the other day and the host shared this fantastic example, this fantastic story. And it goes like this. He had this deal, this property come across this table. They underwrote it. They looked at it and they're like, you know what? This doesn't look that good. We can't, the numbers just don't really make sense. It's not that fantastic of a deal. So they passed and they went on and they found a deal a couple weeks later. And this deal looked great, looked awesome. And they sent it out to their investors and it was projecting a nice 16% IRR. Mm, nice and conservative number. It looks really good. And one of his investors comes back and he goes, you know what? Um, I have this other deal on my plate. They're projecting 22% IRR. So I'm going to go with that deal. And this, my buddy, he goes, oh, that's fine. Can you, Would you mind sharing the, the marketing package on that other deal? I love seeing other opportunities, other deals, and seeing like how other operators are pre- presenting. And that, we do the same thing. We love seeing this stuff. So he sends over the information, and it's the deal that the guy passed on just a couple weeks before, the same deal that they had already underwritten. And somehow, when he underwrote the deal, they were coming up with like a 12 or 13% IRR. But now this other operator was projecting 22%. Mm. Where did that difference come from? And that's 
And that's the big question, right? Is that like how one operator projects on a deal is completely different than another one. Now, as they dove into this one, they started to realize some big mistakes had been made from an underwriting perspective. But let's put that aside for now and just talk about the fact that two different operators underwrote the same deal and had a 10% delta. So if you're just looking at returns, that would not paint a very full picture. Yeah, and I love this because we've seen this mm-hmm. so many times where we've looked at a deal. Um, you know, things from 50,000 feet kind of looked fine, location, the type of building. And then when we really looked at, okay, what's the upside and what's the potential downside here? And we really tried to underwrite it. It just didn't work for us, and we passed on it. And then we'd see that deal get picked up by somebody else that we're aware of in the market at a much higher price than we were thinking of even entertaining, um, even when we didn't even really like it at that price. And then they're running with it. And so we're always kind of wondering internally, like, what are they looking at on their end? Um, how are they making this work? Or do they have some sort of business plan that they're going to execute that we didn't even think of? Was there some sort of reposition angle? Usually there's not. And usually, uh, we're going to dive into it here, but usually it's just uh, lacks underwriting, I guess. I don't lacks. know if that's the right word I think word that's a good it. word. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because when we look at these deals, we don't go in, into the, uh, other operators underwriting assuming that they made a mistake or did anything wrong. We look at it through the lens of like, okay, what did we miss? Yeah. What could, like, where did they see the opportunity that we didn't? Because we want to level up and we want to get better and we want to take that. Usually though, as you alluded, like that's not really what happens. Mm-hmm. Often it's just a difference in underwriting expectations, things around cap rate reversions or vacancy growth, uh, vacancy rates versus uh, rent growth numbers mm-hmm. or, you know, all sorts of like, how can we reduce the expenses? And in this particular deal that I was telling the story about my buddy, you know, what it was is a, is a classic mistake that a lot of new underwriters make, which is they assumed from day one that they would be able to go and achieve 100% occupancy and do their unit turns in the first quarter. And if you look at that, you're like, well, how is that possible? How are you going to get 100% occupancy on day one and go do these renovations in the first quarter? You're now having tenants in these units. You can't do both simultaneously. Let's forget for a second that you probably also can't have a teleportation machine and magically have all your your units just filled day one. Probably not. Time machine actually is what you need. That that would make this a time machine would yeah, help. Yeah. That would make this business plan a reality. But I actually got a um, uh, an underwriting package sent my way by uh, someone that we're partnered with, and there was somebody that had done some underwriting for this individual on a deal that they were trying to kind of put in front of us as a group to see if we want to move forward with. And I got really excited because I always love to look at how other people underwrite deals. And unfortunately, I mean, this one was done by somebody who's a little bit newer, and so you know. No problem with that. They weren't out raising capital or anything for it. But I noticed just a laundry list of things that were that were wrong on this this underwriting. And the the numbers that that were on the uh, the package that, that that were shot over were probably you know seventeen to nineteen percent IRR somewhere in there. And I got this laundry list, and the biggest things I found were one, the exact same thing that Anthony just mentioned. Uh, the rent premium was achieved immediately in year one for three hundred and sixty five days. So from December 31st to January 1st, all the rents jumped by about a hundred some bucks. Vacancy didn't change. Mm. Uh, How's that possible? Not possible. <laughs> not possible. I saw another thing in there too. They had rubs, which is a really popular thing for people to incorporate, where we you know bill back for utilities. But it was interesting. They didn't just inc- they didn't just add a line item in revenue 
for the 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 bill back they also decreased their expense line item Mm. Right. Uh, so you're not supposed Double to. Dipping. Yeah. So effectively, their utility costs went uh, you know, past zero because they have the income from the bill back. And then all of a sudden their expense line item went away. And so I was like, that just doesn't work unless you're not going to pay the utility companies, which probably won't go too well. Um, and there was a laundry list of other things. The cap rates were were suspect mm. and things like that. But the big one was just that, you know, that that rent increase. And I think that's a really common, that's common. one. It's Even common. if you get 100 percent of your units uh, up to the market rent that you're shooting for, it's going to happen over the course of the year, and the total rent collected for that period isn't going to total up to that new market premium because you're going to get maybe nine months or eight months or six months of that higher rent. And, and here's why this is a common mistake that we see in underwriting is because a lot in this space, you know, syndications have become very sexy, and and a lot of people are getting involved in it. Um, pretty much every day, people are jumping in, and what they're using a lot of times for the underwriting are these boilerplate spreadsheets that are put out by these groups who are like, hey, use our underwriting package. And that's fine for getting like back of the napkin understanding of the numbers and things. But what it doesn't do is it's, it, they're usually not very sophisticated where you can break out this information and say, okay, in month three, we're doing this many unit turns and this is what the rent premium month four, it says you can't lay it out like that. And so for the sake of simplicity, they just go in, they're like year one, boom, they put the number in there, not really thinking through the consequences of that. Now, in our book, Passive Investing Made Simple, we talk about a lot of tips and strategies for avoiding this as you're vetting operators and vetting deals in particular. And I'll give you one little tidbit that comes straight from the book, which is don't look at the numbers and try to create the narrative yourself. Ask the operator to tell you the story of how they're going to do this. Because we're humans, we think in stories, we don't think in numbers very well. If I just started throwing out these numbers that we are gonna do this many unit renovations in quarter one, and and we're gonna have this occupancy rate, and we're gonna get this rent premium, and all these things, I just start throwing out numbers, that doesn't tell you the story. If you try to tell me the story that from day one, we're gonna have all our units filled, and in the first quarter, we're gonna renovate all of our units, and you start telling me that story, I'm gonna go, wait a minute, I see a plot hole. Like you might not be an expert storyteller, but when you watch a movie, you see plot holes and you will see plot holes in operators deals when they start telling you what they're going to do in a narrative format. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the best kind of um, uh, lens to try to look at deals through, especially when you're newer to investing is uh, go into a potential opportunity and try to break it. Uh, you might not really know exactly what questions to be asking, uh, but if you can just ask enough questions, you'll be able to tell if the operator is struggling to justify and struggling to explain how this business plan is going to unfold. And if they've got really well thought out uh, answers for all of your questions, that's usually a pretty good sign. But if you start probing and you're not getting really well thought out uh, comprehensive answers that make a lot of logical sense, then there's probably some red flags there and you need to dig a little bit deeper before mm-hmm. you start throwing money anywhere. Yeah, always as a good rule of investing advice here is always look for reasons the deal won't work. Mm-hmm. Don't look for the upside. Look for the downside. It's the classic, take care of the downside, the upside takes care, takes care of itself. So look for reasons not to invest. Try and sell yourself on why this is a bad deal. And if you can't do it, if at the end of the day, you, you, you make the most compelling argument for why you shouldn't do the investment and you're still like, okay, those are kind of weak reasons. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. Go cool. do that deal. <laughs> All right. So that's going to do it for us, guys. I hope this sheds some light on, on this issue that you're going to face at some point. 
which is you're going to have two deals. You need to make a decision between the two of them. Which one should you invest in? Which one should you take a hard pass? Hopefully this saves you from making some big mistakes. Um, but check this book out. No guarantee. Honestly, all the answers are in there. The answers, 32, 32% of the answers are in the book. Passive investing made simple. And again, we got a very special deal going for you. Our beautiful dear listeners go to the passive You can get the book for free. The physical book, not the digital, the physical book. We will mail it to you for free. If you just pay shipping, it's usually 20 bucks, right? It's a $20 book plus shipping. That's usually Legit. like 22, 23, 25 bucks. If you go and you pay, I think it's six bucks, the passive investing book.com. We don't make any money on this. We just want to spread the word. So even if you already know everything about passive investing, if you got a friend or a family member or somebody that you're like, this is the coolest thing ever, but they're a little bit scared. They're a little bit overwhelmed still because it is scary and overwhelming at first. Get them a copy of the book. Mm-hmm. Do them a favor. Change the trajectory of their investing career. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. All right. So that's going to do it for us, guys. We appreciate you for taking some time out of your day to join us here. We will catch you next week. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.